0: This is a special uh, morning as well because, uh, as most of you are aware, we have been in a year of transition. And uh, about a year ago, we started the process of kind of developing a renewed vision for the ministry of our church and the direction God would have us go into the future so that we can be a church that really makes a difference in one another's lives and in our communities. And um, so once we have developed that uh, renewed vision... We set about rebuilding the team around that plan. And um, Pastor Darren Redekop came on just recently. So excited to have Darren a part of the team and, and his family uh, in, our, in our family. They're, they're looking for a house. So please pray for them as they're looking for a house here in the Stonewall area. And then uh, Sarah Seward joined our team beginning of this month. And already she's shown that that was a great hire. And so we're excited to have Sarah as our office administrator. And James came to us last fall in November as director of youth and young adults. And so we've been rebuilding this team. And there's one more piece of that. And then and then we're fully equipped to move forward in this plan and this vision. And that piece is, is past. what well, we've called pastor of worship and connections. And we know that even though many of those responsibilities have been accounted for in the past, it's a new title, a bit of a new configuration. And by worship, we mean... Um, obviously, the music ministry and, and and all of our tech, and that's becoming more and more important. But beyond that, all that it takes to, to run these corporate worship gatherings. And there's a lot, a lot of volunteer teams that need to be overseen and equipped. And, uh, and so that's what we mean when we say pastor of worship and connections. And by connections, we really mean three things. We mean... Uh, To to connect us to one another through fellowship events To connect new people into the life of our church through our newcomer pathway and to connect our uh, ourselves as a church to our communities as we share the good news of Jesus in our communities in an outreach ministry and So it's a really big role that encompasses a number of things and um, And so this morning we have a candidate for this position for pastor of worship connections Daniel Bradine and his wife Demaris is here with uh, with him and I've just been excited to get to know them and uh, just excited about all the potential there is in this relationship. So uh, we're going to hear from Daniel. He's going to just share himself, the story of God's work in his life, and then he's going to bring a message to us this morning. He was the guy on the drums, by the way. So if the drums were too loud, you just you, he's the guy to talk to. All right, but wasn't worship great this morning? Like, I... Um, It just felt good you know like a full team up here it kind of felt normal that felt good Uh, but why don't you come on up Daniel and uh, I'm just gonna pray over you and then uh, I'll hand it over to you let's pray God we thank you for your leading and us as a church over this last year Lord we're not on our own as Jesus said he will build his church this church belongs to you You're the one who provides and you're the one who guides. And we've seen that in this last year in incredible ways. And even through this whole COVID thing, which has brought so many challenges, God, how you have been faithful and the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places as a church. And so, Lord, we know that uh, what you have begun, you will complete. And you're continuing to lead this process. And we just ask, Lord, that that you would continue uh, to guide us forward in the path you would have us walk as a church. And now, as Daniel comes to introduce himself, and and share a message i just pray that i thank you for him lord his willingness to to serve you and to be here and to consider whether this is where you want him to be and so i just pray that in his spirit you give him a great liberty and uh, and the comfort and clarity as he shares with us in jesus name amen. amen
1: well thank you rusty and thank you all for the last couple of weeks demaris and i have been in and out of this building quite a bit and we've had really nothing but really positive interactions, really warm receptions. Um, we've definitely felt a lot of love from you guys already, which has been really cool and is a cool testimony to what God is doing in your church. Um, as Rusty said, and I'm sure has been announced a few times, my name is Daniel. And yes, Burdine, my last name is really weird. Uh, as far back as we know, our family is German, but the last name is French, and so we're not quite sure how that works. Our best guess is that our family was probably um, French Protestants, the Huguenots persecuted by the Catholics, and we fled to Germany, but we don't actually know for sure, Just kind of a cool thing. Uh, I'm from Oak Bank, Manitoba, so really not that far from here. It was about a 35, 40 minute drive this morning, um, and I grew up on a grain farm. My dad farmed and ran a small business in town, farm and auto body kind of stuff. We had a mechanic, that sort of business. Um, and I grew up attending uh, a small Baptist church in Oakbank. Um, very similar feel has kind of been something I've noticed a lot. Similar town, about 5,000 people, tight-knit community, um, a lot of young families who work in the city, same thing as Oak Bank, and then Baptist churches generally are pretty similar. So it's definitely felt like home, getting to interact with a lot of you. Um, it feels like I know you even though I really don't, so that's been really cool. Rusty kind of asked me to introduce a bit about who I am beyond just a ministry position, so I was kind of trying to think of, you know, what are a few of my main hobbies, and so the three things I kind of came up with, uh, I love tech, whether that's laptops or smartphones or wearables, I just really love screwing around with uh, anything that has a keyboard on it, and my motto for life with those has kind of been, if it's already broken, I can't break it worse, so I might as well try to fix it, um, I'm also a casual sports fan, but a pretty massive football fan. If any of you are doubting how seriously I'm taking the candidating process, I'm missing, missing NFL opening weekend to be here. So that was a bit of a sacrifice, but I hope it was worth it. I also played football in high school and play a little bit recreationally in Winnipeg when there aren't global pandemics. Finally, I love music, and I'm sure that was obvious from that playing um, I play a couple of instruments, drums, and guitar, acoustic guitar kind of being my main ones, and I kind of listen to anything from 40s jazz to 80s funk to a whole lot of modern worship, really anything besides country, because country music is bad. <laughs> I got the same reaction in both services. I'm, I honestly thought that would only be a bad thing in Stonewall. I was like, I'm, I'm playing a risky game, but... I have also had the opportunity over the last year and a half uh, to realize that I am the most blessed man alive. I have gotten to know and gotten to marry Damaris, who is honestly the the kindest and most warm human being I have ever met. Why don't you come up here, introduce my wife to you all. Damaris really does balance me out perfectly. She's the calm to my intense, the feeler to my thinker, the, the reflective to my very busy, and the country music lover to my country music hater. <laughs> so, so she's working on me with that, but not with much success at this point. Um, she also has been the source of some pretty cool connections that we actually have to this church. Damaris is from Killam, Alberta, which is a little town about two and a half hours southeast of Edmonton, where her dad is the lead pastor at a BGC church. Um, also, just one of the craziest connections that's come out in this whole time was that she was actually the flower girl at Karen and Andrew Dick's wedding. <laughs> so we met doing music together at Miller College of the Bible. Uh, Damaris is a wildly talented vocalist and the best piano player I have ever gotten to play with. Um, but her abilities and talents were not missed by others, and during her second year at Miller, I was the fifth guy to ask her out, but the only one she said yes to, and that's worked out pretty well. So Damaris loves literature, both reading and writing. Um, she's more creative and artistic than she would ever really tell anyone, but she's really good at, at painting at drawing. Uh, I watched her draw my grandma a birthday card in like a few minutes on a piece of printer paper this week, and it was nicer than any card I'd ever seen in a store. So she's pretty good at that. And I've also never met anyone who connects with kids quite as well as Damaris does. So I just really couldn't imagine doing a life of ministry without her beside me. So that's just a bit about us, but I think it's obviously important that I talk about that ministry that, that I want to get into. Um, and a big part of that, obviously, is my testimony. But whenever I, I go to give mine, it, it feels pretty standard, the, the pretty normal I grew up in church testimony, right? My, my parents were active in the church. They taught and modeled the Christian life for me. I could probably count on two hands how many times I haven't been in a church on a Sunday morning. That was just my life. Um, I prayed a prayer with my mom when I was three, though, admittedly, to this point in my life, I've always had questions about when I actually started developing a relationship with Christ. That would be one potential moment. We'll talk about a few others as I go. Um, but from young, I was a good Baptist hellfire and brimstone preacher. I actually ran around on the soccer field telling my friends they were going to hell if they didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, my approach has changed quite a bit. It wasn't very effective then, and I doubt it would be very effective now, um, But I was a passionate kid, and I I always have been that way. The problem was, for me back then, is that it was all pretty much just head knowledge. I I knew a lot of facts. I was that annoying kid in Sunday school who had all the right answers for the teacher, um, and that was the only impact it ever had on me. It was more a way to build up my own pride than to actually build up a relationship with God. And then, when I was in grade seven, I was attending a worship night with the youth group I was at at the time, and... I honestly couldn't tell you much about what happened that night. I, I don't remember what songs we sang. I don't remember what the pastor said. Uh, I just remember leaving and something was different. Um, maybe that was the time that I actually started my relationship with Christ. Like I said, I really I have a really hard time pinning it down. But um, from then, things really did start to change. And about a year later, when I was in grade eight, this call to ministry started to become a little more obvious to me. In in one week, I had three people tell me that I had to become a youth pastor. Um, One of them was a public high school teacher, which is really strange. When you get a paper back and it just says, oh, you should consider becoming a youth minister. It's like, excuse me? And so with all those three people, I, I went to my mom freaking out, and I said, what do I do? And her response was pretty much, well, hang on to this, see what happens. It could be nothing, it could be something. Um, But I think I knew back then that it was something, but I was a little Jonah, and it's not that I was running away from my relationship with God, but I was definitely running away from this calling that I thought there was, and so all throughout high school, I had no intentions of pursuing ministry. I wanted to do my own thing. Uh, In grade 12, my plans were to sign up to go to the U of M to do high school education, and then God did what God does. I went to Missions Fest Manitoba, which is a very poorly scheduled event on Super Bowl Sunday every year. Um, and I was wearing uh, a sweater of my favorite football team, which I'm not gonna say from this stage because a lot of you won't like me as soon as I say it, so you can talk to me after if you want to know. Um, but the recruitment guy from Miller College of the Bible saw this sweater, and he was a huge NFL fan, and so he pulled me over, we talked for 20 minutes, solely about football, and I left, and that was it. That was the end of my interaction. I knew nothing about the school, didn't pick up a catalog, didn't really care. And then I woke up two weeks later with the closest thing in my life to what felt like God speaking to me. And it, it was just this impossible to ignore thing in my head, you need to apply to go to this school. And so I did and within a couple of weeks was accepted and that kind of started this journey in a way where I was actually a willing participant. So it was during my four year, well, three years plus a year of internship slash classes at Miller uh, that God very much changed my heart to how I wanted to do ministry. First of all, He made it pretty clear that youth was not something I was super passionate about, and so it wasn't going to be that. Um, but it was through a lot of work in my heart of revealing sin to me that I held on to pretty tightly, a lot of taking away things that I considered part of my personality that were actually just deeply ingrained sin, um, and a lot of humbling me to get me to the point where I was ready to follow this call. So I think that leaves one question left to be answered: is why this role, why worship, why connections? Um, worship is the is the easy answer for me. I grew up in an incredibly musical family. Uh, I've been playing instruments since I was three. Uh, I think every single time we stepped in the car as a family, there was music playing. My parents still just burst out in song randomly around the house. Um, so music has always been a big part of my life. And during my time at Bible school. I fell in love with worship music in a new way. I was put on teams that were far above my skill level and pushed to grow, and I saw what happened when good musicians had the goal of glorifying God with their talents and the way that people responded. It's also been pretty cool for me to kind of trace and see the events in my life that have led to large amounts of growth. It almost always came out of worship nights. It almost always came out of those emotionally vulnerable moments when I was just worshiping God That he would convict me of something or he would give me some kind of clarity or direction. So worship for me is such a big part of my journey. I want to see it be part of other people's. And then connections was the weirder one. Um, When I first applied for the job, I didn't even really fully understand what that meant. But through conversations with the search committee and with the board, I actually realized how excited I am about the potential of doing this role uh, Christian fellowship is huge. I grew up in a little Baptist church. I'm pretty sure for the first 10 years of my life, not a Sunday went by that we weren't at someone's house after church for a meal or for dessert or for something, but that's kind of diminished in the last 10, at least in my experience and in the experience of a lot of people I talked to at school. Um, I think we've, we've kind of lost sight of this because our culture is very not self focused is true, but also not a good word for what I'm trying to say, but, but we like the safety of our homes and it's almost hard to invite people into that, um, but that's not what the church is called to be. We're, we're called to be a family operating together. And then one of the other parts of, of connections is the role of evangelism. And I'm the first to admit that evangelism is hard and scary, um, but obviously very necessary, a very clear call of what the church is supposed to be doing. And the last 20 years have kind of necessitated a change of approach. Um, 20, 30, 40 years ago, Christians weren't seen in a negative light. We actually almost just had this um, immediate decency in people's minds. You know, they were religious people, but now uh, you almost get concerned to say you're a Christian because you don't know if someone's just going to assume that you hate them immediately if you put that word out. I was talking to my grandpa a few weeks ago, and uh, he's still he's he's old, and uh, and he was he was sharing with me how. He, the pastor used to walk around town and everyone, oh, the man of God is coming. The man of God is here. And I'm like, that'll never be, that'll never be my experience. So, so things are different and it's necessitated this change towards um, people seeing that we believe what we say we believe. People seeing us actually living out the words of Christ and not just, you know, trying to live good moral lives, but, but living out the teachings of Scripture. It's made relationships a huge part about how we share the gospel, is to build into the lives of unbelievers and shine the light of Christ in that way. And so it's kind of with those two things in mind that I want to take a look at Psalm 16 today. Uh, psalm 16 is actually my wife's favorite psalm and is quickly becoming a favorite of mine. And I love it for today because it honestly highlights what I would say is the, the biggest thrust that I want my ministry to be about. Um, and that's that I want my ministry to be about people seeing God as bigger. Bigger than what? Bigger than, than everything. As big as he is, which we can't even comprehend. Um, but Psalm 16 does this so well. It, it shows us how David responds to fear by just reminding himself of who God is. So we'll, we'll get started. We're going to walk through it verse by verse. Uh, going to have to move a little quickly here, but I will do my best to be clear. So Psalm 16, it begins with a call that that is probably very familiar to all of us. Preserve me, O God. We're used to that one, right? Help me, save me, deliver me. I need you. I can't do this on my own. But what's surprising about how David starts here is that he doesn't even really share what he needs preservation from. We can kind of infer from, from later verses what it might be about, but we have no concrete evidence as to what he was scared about in this moment And that's because he didn't dwell on his fear in this psalm. David's response to his fear instead was to break into seven and a half verses worshiping God for who he is. He continues in verse one. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And that word for is so important. It's it's almost like David sees this preservation he's asking for as being a result of his closeness to God his using God as a refuge, right? It's this heart cry of one who knows who he can trust. And it's such a big contrast to our culture. You know, as I was preparing this, you know, you think about um, the the classic example, right? A, A culture that is almost entirely godless, and then a natural disaster hits, and then you start here. Oh, where was God in that? Where was God? They only go to him as a last resort when they don't know what else to do but God was David's first turn. He wasn't trying to rely on other relationships, on his prosperity. He wasn't going to other things and then going to God once everything else had failed. He was going to God for preservation. And he continues, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. No good apart from you. He's saying, God, I would take you over anything. And I think we have to keep in mind who David is to fully understand the weight of this sentence, because I think we could all agree that if someone was uh, homeless, struggling financially, they had terminal cancer, they could pretty easily say, God, you're my only good, right? I think we would say, Do you know what? That makes sense. But David was a king. David had everything he could have ever wanted. He had an army at his command. He had a prosperous nation, and yet even amidst all of that, he could simply say, God, you are the only good that I have. Nothing I have compares to what you are. Again, it's such a different mindset than our culture, especially, right, you get this this cultural Christianity that can so quickly rise up where where God becomes a part of what we have, but not our sole good, our only good. It it really is this take it or leave it mindset to the world that David is showing here. Because even with everything he has, he would throw it out. It's like Philippians chapter three, Paul talks about how he could have been kind of the perfect Jew. He he had all the criteria. He was blameless under the pharisaical law. He could have been rich, had many people following him, but he counted it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Christ was Paul's only good, just like God was David's only good. Then he continues into verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It's kind of a weird turn. He was just worshiping God and now he's talking about these people that he's observing. But but I think what we're seeing here is that David delights in those who delight themselves in God. This word saints means those who are set apart for God's service. In the the New Testament, it's pretty clear. Anyone who comes to faith in Christ becomes a saint. In in our context, then, David is saying, we should be delighting in other Christians. But the question is why? Because again, he went from worshiping God, so, so what's going on here? And I think the answer is that it's like David is saying, Lord, how wonderful it is for me to see people who love you, right? I delight in seeing others delight in you. It's exciting. It's awesome. It shows that you're working because people are growing and I love seeing it. And then he creates this contrast going into verse four, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips, right? So the saints are excellent. That's good. Those who are following God, they're people that David wants to see, wants to be around. But then those who run after other gods, they're going to be sorrowful. More than that, their sorrows are just going to multiply. I think David's making the point that that Yahweh is the only one who's going to satisfy. These people can try running after their other gods, right? And again, think in this cultural context, they can try to pray to their harvest gods when their crops aren't growing and they're desperate, but they're never going to satisfy all they're going to see is their puny little fake God failing, and their sorrow is just going to grow. We have to be cautious in our context, and this comes up in every sermon preached in 2020 about idolatry. Our idols aren't the same, right? We're not worshiping statues on a desk, at least I really hope you're not. But what we deal with is cultural idols, right? We, we see things like the idol of, of money, of fame of success of a career of power of relationships right we want to climb the social ladder these are our idols these things that we can so quickly pursue going completely contrary to what god is wanting us to follow casting down everything that he wants us to do for the sake of growing in these areas but david's response to idols actually teaches us a lot he he has two sentences on it he says their drink offerings of blood i will not pour out or take their names on my lips i hope the first one's a given I hope we would expect that the king of Israel wasn't going to pour out blood offerings to other gods. That feels pretty standard. But he goes further, and he says he's not even going to do them the honor of saying their names. Right? So it's more than just you know, saying, okay, I'm not going to blatantly honor you in front of everyone. It's saying that even in my personal life, I'm totally rejecting you. I'm rejecting and dishonoring anything that can draw me away from God. That's what we'd expect from, from the king of Israel, this, this land, this, these people that were supposed to be dedicated to God. And he kind of explains more in verse five as to why he's able to do this, because he writes, "The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. God is David's chosen portion." It almost, you get this mental image of David sitting in front of a banquet feast, right? And you have beautiful dishes of all kinds and, and all this expensive drink. And he's, I can say wine. Can I say wine? Am I fine? Expensive wine? No, no wine. Rusty says no wine. Expensive drinks. <laughs> um, and as he looks, he sees, okay, well, you know, this plate and this cup are Yahweh and all these other things look really good. But, but these are the two that I'm taking. I don't want any of the others. He's my chosen portion and my cup. And and the irony that we can see kind of looking from the outside is that if he chose any of his other dishes, he'd be dead. They're poisonous. They're not going to satisfy. They're going to kill him. So his chosen portion ultimately was the only one that could have ever been satisfying. And then he has another little sentence that's so easy to skip over. He says, you hold my lot. But this sentence, though small, I think is key to actually understanding how David gets where he does in Psalm 16. This is essentially him saying, God, the dice are going to fall where you want them to, and I'm going to trust you in that. And, and these two lines of verse 5 go so well together because, because what David is saying is that God is his chosen portion. He's the one that he wants, the God who he's drawn to. But more than that, this God who he loves and who he sees the infinite value of is the one who determines how things are going to go. It really is this combination that just builds up hope in God because he's good And he's also infinitely powerful. This continues into verse six where he writes, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And I I think our first thought generally, Old Testament, when we start thinking about lines falling in pleasant places, start thinking of beautiful inheritance, we think of land, right? We think, oh, David has a big kingdom, which was true, But what's so interesting is that this verse, or the word translated as "pleasant places" in verse six, is the same word in verse eleven, simply translated as "pleasures." So you could be consistent with translation and say that David is writing, "The lines have fallen for me in in pleasures, in good things from God." This is so cool, and this is something that we experience so frequently in the Christian life, right? It is it is in God that we can find true fulfillment, actual meaning for our lives. Right, Striving in life without God is, okay, I'm going to you know live 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, and I 'm just going to try to be as happy as I can be. Well, that's hopeless, but in God, we find actual fulfillment, actual meaning in life. We have a purpose that we serve, and it goes beyond just our however many years on this earth. And I think this verse, again is cool, and you keep in mind who's writing this psalm because David wasn't always having his lines fall in pleasant places. He was running from the king of Israel who was trying to kill him. He was running in the wilderness gathering just a group of men who I believe the Bible describes as worthless men. These guys who had no reputation. Uh, But yet he still could say, even when I don't understand God's faithfulness, he's still faithful. These lines are still falling in pleasures for me. Verse 7, we just get a really simple statement. David writes, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel In the night also my heart instructs me. He worships God because he's a guide for him. And that's awesome. It's so simple, but it's so true. David knows that he can go to God for wisdom. And as a king, that's an incredible amount of pressure to have to make wise decisions. So he gives God the glory he's due for it. And then we hit verse eight, where I think we hit the first climax of Psalm 16. David writes, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. See what happens there? Verse one, preserve me, O God, this cry of fear, this cry of of needing more than what's happening. And through seven and a half verses of worship, David lands at one phrase, I shall not be shaken. What happens is that as David just begins to remind himself of who God is, the fear fades away. He realizes that if if all these things I'm saying about God are true right now, if what I know of my Lord is true right now, I'm good. Nothing's going to touch me. And that's where he goes in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. That word, therefore, is really important. He's saying, because of everything I've said already, right? So, because God is my refuge, because he's my only good, because he's the one who has given me saints to delight in, because he's my chosen portion, because he's the one who holds my lot, because he's the one who's given me a beautiful inheritance, because he's my counselor, I worship. I rejoice. I don't have to fear. And he says, my flesh dwells secure. I'm safe. Right, Nobody can touch me if everything that I have just said about God is true. And the truth that we see in Psalm 16 is that worship enables us to go and do what God has called us to go and do. Because we remind ourselves that he's faithful and that his promises are sure and that he is far bigger than anything we are going to face. Verse 10 really cements this promise in a cool way that we don't have time to get into because it's a prophecy about Jesus, and and the apostles pick it up in the book of Acts. They point to the fact that David was looking at Christ as he was writing this psalm, but then we hit verse 11, which really is the second climax of Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This infinitely large God has made known the path of life to tiny useless little human beings. And he's done that through his word, right? We are, we are capable of actually experiencing real, true, meaningful life on earth. But more than that, it's this promise of eternal life through Christ. John 1 verse 4 says that in Christ was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. More than this, then, we, we get this picture of fullness of joy and eternal pleasures. These are the things that we await at the coming of Christ, or when we go to be with him. And, and I feel like because of the prosperity gospel, we've kind of gotten a little sheepish about talking about these promises of eternal pleasures. But the truth is, Christianity is a religion of self-denial for now, until we're dead. And then it is, it is a faith of absolute fulfillment, of, of eternal joy, of unmeasurable pleasures at the right hand of of God. But it's also somewhat true now. Yes, we see this ultimately at the end of all things, being with Christ forever. But pursuit of Christ provides a glimpse of these now, that we can experience the, the pleasures of God, that we can experience the joy in Christ that is so different than anything we see around us, right? So that in the middle of a pandemic, we can feel safe. We we can see numbers skyrocket and we can go, oh, but our, our God's got this. That's different. <laughs> that that's not something that the world knows how to deal with. We have a God who has promised us these things. So why Psalm 16 for today? I I essentially had 15, 20 minutes of of a sermon to uh, try to persuade you to vote for me, let's be honest. That's that's a big part of what we're doing here. And I'm going to ignore my notes because my answer has actually changed since I wrote this. um, Because I think the answer for why Psalm 16 today is because God knew that I would need it as I was kind of putting on my final touches yesterday, I felt the fear start to rise up. Uh, I felt these moments of doubt. I felt inadequate. I felt um, like I, I'm 22 years old and I'm, I'm stepping into a building that I've never really had the opportunity to be in front of a bunch of, and I was getting scared and I was getting nervous, which is really weird for me because I have done a lot of public speaking in my life. So I took my own advice. Uh, I had to go to a little get-together with some of my Bible school friends and I got in my car and I just cranked worship music and I belted it out for the entire drive. And I spent time in prayer and I got to those friends and just processed and talked about um, all of this and I felt my confidence in God rise. Through worship, I was reminded that my God was bigger than any fear that I was going to face, that that ultimately whatever happens here today and whatever happens on Thursday night is the lines falling in pleasant places, this beautiful inheritance that he has both for this church and for my wife and I. But our God is big. And as much as I think he wanted to use Psalm 16 to, to illustrate how I view my ministry today, I think I needed it. And that's just such a cool illustration of the big God who loves us so deeply. Let's pray. And Father, this is true, that, that you really are um, bigger than what we can imagine, that, that you are a God who is so large that, that even if we did our best to try to illustrate and explain and picture it, that we wouldn't even get close. You are infinitely large, you are infinitely sovereign, you are infinitely powerful And yet you love us. (laughs) You're you're so deeply concerned about our lives. You've given us a beautiful inheritance. You've promised us pleasures forevermore when all that we have to offer you is realistically nothing. We're so grateful for that, grateful (laughs) that your love is unending, that your power is unending. And Father, I just pray that you would continue to give us greater and greater glimpses of how wonderful, how massive, how powerful and how loving you are, that that would transform how we worship, whether that means worship through song, through prayer, through hearing preaching, through conversing with with Christians, through trying to evangelize, that we would see everything as an opportunity to reflect your greatness to others. Amen.